Good morning. Welcome to Regen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we open up 1 Samuel chapter 20 this morning, pray that you would reveal to us the things you want us to hear, the things that you want us to know. And pray that you would bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday, as John said, uh, was the vote for me to become lead pastor at Regeneration. And so for the past 22 months, I've been serving as the interim pastor, and so today is kind of like officially uh, my first day on the job. And it's not that I couldn't serve as the lead pastor without that vote yesterday, right? Because I kind of was doing that role for the past 22 months, so it's not that I couldn't do that. And the vote yesterday is, it's not the same thing as a covenant, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, But hopefully you get the point that now, now I can say that things are firmer than yesterday, Right, and, and that I have some assurance about my role, and I have a, a more formal agreement that, that gives me more security, that gives me more confidence, that, that my role here as a lead pastor is more concrete, and that I don't have to operate out under uh, uncertainty. And so, so this is kind of the sense that we get from chapter 20 in terms of a covenant. And so, so what I went through is not the same as a covenant. In a covenant, someone formally binds themselves into a promise, and, and then that promise is formalized into a covenant, and then there's this sense of confidence and security. But you can see kind of the similarities, I hope. And it's not to say that there couldn't be friendships or promises or love without a covenant, but, but when it's formalized into a covenant, it makes the parties involved in that covenant more sure and, and, and sure of agreement and understanding. And it, and it solidifies the agreement and it gives, uh, I guess, more mental assurance. So we'll see that in the covenant between uh, David and Jonathan in chapter 20, and we'll see the, the security that the covenant offers. Now keep in mind that that this is a picture of the covenant God wants His people to have when He relates to us in terms of covenant. And that, this is a really important thing for us to keep in mind as we go through this study, where, where God binds Himself to us to be our God, and that we have a covenant with God. So, so let's look at chapter 20 in, in the text, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with that at the end. So what's going on here? What We're going to kind of dissect that, and then, and then we're going to be able to see this covenant in action. So David's on the run from Saul, and and what we'll find in chapter 20 is that David heads back to Jonathan, and and the reason why is that he wants this understanding of what's going on. You know, like, why is your dad trying to kill me? What did I do to tick him off? I don't understand why he's wanting to kill me. So let's start in verse 1. Then David fled from Nioth to Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to run to Bethlehem his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. 
If he says, good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Now in verses 1-9, through we see the choices that the covenant provides. Because where does David go when he starts running out of options? He goes back to the person whom the covenant was made with, Jonathan. Now David doesn't know what's going on. He's seeking understanding here. That's why he goes to Jonathan. He's barely escaping Saul out of every corner and he doesn't know what's happening except that Saul wants to kill him. And he knows that he's being hunted, but he doesn't know why he's being hunted. So we read in verse 1, What have I done? What is my guilt? What's my sin before your father that he seeks my life? See, Jonathan's a bit naive still here, and he doesn't think that his dad is after David. Now, it might seem risky to go back to the son of the person that is trying to kill you. So why did David have the assurance that Jonathan wouldn't turn against him or that him and his father didn't conspire or collude to lure him back in and kill him? Why does David have this assurance that Jonathan is not on the side of his father but is on his side? Well, they had a covenant. David and Jonathan had a covenant. You read that in verse 8. Deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. And in verse 8, there's a word in there, kindly. And in Hebrew, it's the word kesed. And it means faithful. It means steadfast. It means loyal. It means devoted love. And in the Old Testament, it's often translated steadfast love or loving kindness. And it has these overtones of grace and care and affection. And David reminded Jonathan that, that, hey man, we made a covenant. And so David expected Jonathan to show him chesed. Right? Devoted love. Because that's what's called for from people who enter into this covenant with one another. And in covenant, people deal with each other in the light of the promises that they made to one another. And they carry out those promises. And so you remember the covenant made in chapter 18, verses 1-5, through 5, where Jonathan made a covenant with David. It reads, When he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his girdle. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Something to keep in mind about a covenant is that is that when a covenant was established, there were times that an animal was cut in half. And so they'd cut this animal in half, and the pieces of the animal were arranged on both sides of kind of this walkway that they created. And so the people entering the covenant would walk through the pieces of the animal to symbolize that, you know, if this covenant is broken, may I be like this animal that we just walked through. And it was like taking this curse upon yourself. That they were making their word, their promise, so firm that if it was broken, may God do to me what we've done to this animal. Serious stuff. Really serious stuff. The covenant was made to show how trustworthy, how resolute their word was to be, their covenant was to be. So Jonathan made a covenant with David. 
And he gave David his robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, his, his girdle, symbolizing that Jonathan was giving to David the rights to the throne. You see, Jonathan was next in line to the throne. He was the crown prince. He was to succeed Saul. But Jonathan renounced his place on the throne. He recognized that David was to be on the throne. It's as if Jonathan was letting David know that that he's not going to compete against him. He was going to willingly let it go because he knew that the throne was not his to have. And this was the covenant. and, And this is what made it possible for David to feel secure enough to go back to Saul's son. And so without it, there's no way he could do it. But he had this covenant relationship. And so the covenant, the promise, the the oath made it possible for David to depend on Jonathan. That even in times of this trouble, in times where I'm not sure he's, he's his son, that the choices that they made, he could count on the choices that Jonathan would make because he knew that they were in covenant with one another. That, that the parties involved are going to make certain choices because they made a covenant with one another. And that's why we as Christians in, in Jesus Christ know that in times of trouble, we know the choices Jesus will make with us because we have entered into a covenant with Him. Or He's entered into a covenant with us. And it's the same God who entered into the covenant with those sinning, calf-worshipping people on Mount Sinai, right? In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the word kesed there, the covenant word there, and faithfulness. See, See, that's our God. That's our God that we have a covenant with. And if you want to see God in the New Testament, you go to uh, John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of this only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now what does full of grace and truth mean? Well, if we translate that phrase, grace and truth, back to Hebrew, we'd have the same meaning that we have in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, John wrote, full of grace and truth. What was he writing there? He was writing that the same God of Mount Sinai that uh, was working out the sin issues with those people worshiping a calf, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he has become flesh. God is the one who has given us His Word that He will be faithful to us. And He's full of grace and truth. And as believers in Jesus, that's the God we have whom whom we can turn to in times of trouble. And He's our wonderful God. He's our friend who, who made a covenant with us. And we know the choices He will make on our behalf. We know we can run to Him when we have nowhere else to run like David ran to Jonathan. We know that. Because God is so faithful to us. Verse 10 back in 1 Samuel, Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not send and disclose it to you? 
But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So we see that the covenant is the place of security between David and Jonathan. And they're making these arrangements for how things will play out in the future. And we read how Jonathan is posturing for the future. See, oaths were, were taken between Jonathan and David at this point, and, and, and an oath that Jonathan and his descendants will be kept alive. And so this is kind of strange. This is strange, but this is how miraculous covenants can be. This, this isn't a covenant that people typically made to one another. Do you see that? See, see if someone else came into power, like David was going to come into power, you don't keep those people around. You don't keep those people around you who are going to take power from you. See, previous regimes, they, they weren't kept around for a different regime to take over. When, when, they, when they got taken over, regimes weren't preserved. They were eliminated. They were wiped out. They were annihilated. All of them. Not just the king and his wife and his kids, but every, all of their descendants. So that no one from the family could threaten your new power. And people didn't make this type of promise that David and Jonathan made. You wouldn't protect a rival who could threaten your throne. That's just against the politics of that day. That's not something that you would do. And you'll see that in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 6-7, through that David kept his word. It says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Unheard of. Impossible. See, that didn't typically happen in regime changes. The new regime would typically wipe out the old. Gone. They would take out any Threats of previous regimes. They didn't want that threat. So this is abnormal. This is a supernatural faithfulness between David and Jonathan. And it's based off of their covenant. And you also see that it doesn't happen in other places of the Bible. That regimes were wiped out. You look at 1 Kings chapter 15 or 2 Kings chapter 9 and 10. Regimes were wiped out. And when one king came into power, they got rid of everyone from the previous regime. All family members gone. That whole family wiped out because there wasn't a chance for a threat from them. No one was kept around. But, but David promised that he would preserve Jonathan's family in a covenant. And it's just miraculous. Unheard of. It allowed them to go against what we would deem as common sense, what everyone would deem as common sense politically. And it helped them see things differently. It helped them to live differently, to go against culture, to go against the politics. That's, that's God. That's God. Jonathan and David were willing to bind each other to a covenant. And so, so you see how important an oath was to them. 
How important someone's word was. What, what someone said, it meant a lot back in that day. It meant a lot back in that culture. It was extremely serious. It was a life or death seriousness. And we can be so loose with our words today, can't we? Where what we say doesn't mean all that much. And, and it's just sad that we can just retract so easily from the things that we say. And I have... Uh, a really good friend, one of my closest friends, whose father was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease uh, back in 94 when we were uh, college roommates. And he wasn't expected to live long, actually, only a few years. It was just progressing really fast. They said probably three, three to five years, and that's about it. But he ended up living until this past year, 2009. And uh, 15 years, so a little bit more than a few years that they gave him. If you guys aren't familiar with Lou Gehrig's disease, mentally, you're totally fine. But physically, you're deteriorating. But mentally, you're totally fine. And you're experiencing this slow death from the outside in while everything is fine and you know all this stuff and you can think fine and everything's fine, but physically, you're just deteriorating. And so my friend's mother had some incredibly difficult time caring for her husband all those years because at first it was just transitioning to a, a cane and then transitioning to a wheelchair and then transitioning to an oxygen tank and, and all this stuff and then where he can't move anymore and then he has to be bathed by her and all this stuff. And she took really good care of him all those 15 years and many of those times of care, they weren't fun or pleasant. I don't know if you guys have cared for someone that's been incapacitated, but, but if you have, you know how unpleasant it is in terms of changing those diapers and getting them clean and all that stuff and how you're feeding them and bathing them and all that stuff. And from the outside looking in, it could be unpleasant and you go, oh, that's gross or whatever, but it was also incredibly encouraging because she was being faithful to her word, to a covenant that she made 40 years ago. Right? No publicity, no fanfare, no applause, no nothing. A Christian woman fulfilling her covenant close to 40 years ago when she said, in sickness and in health, till death do we part. A miracle. The covenant that they made in marriage. Verse 18, Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the young man saying, Go, find the arrows. If I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them. Then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you. Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is not clean, surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. 
He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brother. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him, so Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. You remember that Jonathan made an oath to David, and Jonathan promised to be a faithful friend to David. And you see how angry Saul is towards Jonathan because of their friendship. And so this was during the new moon festival where all the staff would get together and celebrate, and David wasn't there. And Saul didn't think much of it the first night, but then the second night comes around and and he asked Jonathan about it and he flips out. And Jonathan told him he went to Bethlehem to celebrate with his family. And so Saul is angry. Why? Because his legacy is not continuing. That the heir to the throne, Jonathan, and and his potential kingdom, it's, it's slipping through his fingers. And so you see this thing happening that that shouldn't be happening. The crown prince made a covenant with David back in chapter 18. He gave him his robe, his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. And it's as, as if he was giving away that power. Giving away that position. And that doesn't happen if you're a prince. You don't give that away. You don't give away your future throne. You don't cease power to, to someone else, let alone protect them. You don't make covenants with them. You kill them. You wipe them out. You're supposed to kill those who threaten your power. Kill those who want the place on the throne. But Jonathan do what a typical prince would do. He made a covenant with someone who was going to be on the throne instead of him. Besides, Jonathan didn't think having his own kingdom was all that important anyway. Because God's will and God's kingdom is what mattered to him. And Jonathan understood dying to himself. He understood emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. That's what it's all about with us, right? That's what we have with Jesus. Dying to ourselves and removing ourselves from the throne of our own life and letting Him have that right place where we must decrease and Jesus increase. And this act of faithfulness between Jonathan and David only because of covenant Verse 35, In the morning Jonathan went out into the field of the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? Those must have been hard words for Jonathan to say. And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. Pretty cool. That moment there that he gave his weapons away, kind of showing the assurance of David again. 
I still don't have anything against you, right? And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan goes out to the field to meet David with this little boy tagging along. And you may be wondering, why? Why did he bring this little guy with him? It's so that he wouldn't look suspicious. So he would bring this kid out with him to retrieve arrows so that people would think like, oh, he's just going out for some target practice. He'll, he'll be back. And so that they wouldn't suspect anything. And so as Jonathan shoots the arrows, the boy doesn't even know anything that's really going on. But Jonathan and David know what's up because they talked about it beforehand. And so Jonathan shoots these arrows and, and then Jonathan yells out because he shot the arrow beyond and he yells out these words. And so now David knows it's not good news. And so Jonathan and David had to arrange it like this because it wasn't possible for them to guarantee that they would ever have the opportunity to talk to face-to-face. So they, so they made this arrangement in case, you know, oh, I'm going to go target practice with this boy. Oh, I'll come along with you. They didn't know what was going to happen, so they arranged it like this so that David would still get the message. So this is an arrangement that they made with one another. Um, but, but, but they ended up still having some time to talk because it did work out that it was only a boy that went with them. And so he sends the boy ahead into the city. They have this conversation. Now, in this conversation, I find it really odd that Jonathan would tell David to go in peace. After all that stuff, your dad trying to kill me that many times, you shooting it all way out there saying like, yeah, he's going to kill you. Go in peace? Really? I mean, he's a fugitive now. He's a fugitive. He has to live his life in hiding. He has to run for his life. In order to live, how could Jonathan have the audacity to tell David, go in peace? That's messed up. right? And the burden wasn't just on David. Because you look at verse 42, and Jonathan went into the city. See, that was a heavy thing for Jonathan to do also. He didn't want to leave his friend. He didn't want to leave his best friend who he made this covenant with that he was going to be faithful to him and protect him. He... He's on his own. His best friend is on his own. His dad is trying to kill him. And so Jonathan, the crown prince, the second in command, can't even help him and assist him any longer. He goes home. The burden is on both of them. And so Jonathan was torn because he had this deep friendship, this covenant with David. But he was also the son of Saul, the king, whom he was also to be faithful to, whom he was also to be loyal to. So Jonathan had these two loyalties whom he was to be faithful to, and he can't have them contradict one another. He's in a really tough spot. Which one does he choose? And he's the one saying, go in peace. When he's the one pretty divided. So he must have this semblance of peace himself to say this. How can we have peace? It's because of covenant. There was peace between Jonathan and David because there was a covenant. You see, things are pretty bad. Things don't seem to be working out. There aren't many things that they could depend on. The future looks pretty bleak. But there was something that they could depend on. There was a covenant between them. They could depend on that. 
Their word was given to one another to preserve one another and to preserve one another's descendants. So in this one situation, in this one relationship, there was a definitive, settled agreement for security, for safety between one another and one another's descendants. So peace could be counted on between David and Jonathan. They could count on that. Where they should have been bitter enemies, they were the best of friends. How could that be? How could that be? Because of a covenant bond that they swore to one another. There was safety for both of them because they had a covenant under God to one another. Isn't that a picture between Jesus and us? Do you see the peace we have in Jesus, a descendant of David? It's it's not a peace that is all about tranquility over every aspect of our life. It's a peace with God which doesn't necessarily mean like a tranquil peace. What, What peace with God means is that there is a rightness at the core of things when everything else around that core is completely messed up. That in that core, it's it's right. That no matter what, your relationship with Jesus, He's promised you some things there. That's what Paul implied in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings? That's the same thing as Jonathan saying to David, go in peace. Because didn't Paul just write in the verse, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? What's with this rejoice with suffering stuff now? Two verses later. What? That's crazy. You just told me I have peace with Christ. Now you're telling me rejoice in sufferings. Yes, we have peace. But it doesn't mean that we have the absence of suffering. In fact, it's assumed that we will suffer. You see, peace and suffering, they're together. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So there's this tension between peace and tribulation, peace and suffering. And in Jesus, we have peace. In the world, we have tribulation. And we have both peace and tribulation at the same time. But we can go in peace because one that is greater than Jonathan has entered into covenant with us. We have covenant with Jesus. We can depend on His Word, His oath to us, His promise to us. When everything else in the world may be crashing down on us, we have peace there at that core. And Jesus provides that to us through His covenant with us. So we have peace in this one area of our life with Jesus, that there is a rightness at the core of things when He is there with us. And it's a peace that is accessible to those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus. You see, Jesus is far greater than Jonathan. He's far greater than the crown prince, one of the most powerful men of that time. And He offers Himself to you in covenant. And some of you may not have entered into that covenant with Him with 
one who is greater than Jonathan yet. And Jesus offers himself to you so that in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of your sufferings, you will still have a friendship of the Lord as David wrote in Psalms chapter 25. So now you may be asking how you enter into a covenant with Jesus. Because it's something that you can actually do today. You pray. You pray in faith that Jesus comes into your life, that Jesus enters your life, that you accept God's love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. That you believe that even though you are a sinner, because you are, if you don't believe it, read Romans chapter 5. Jesus died for you. He offers you a covenant that you can, and you can thank Him for that. He doesn't charge you for it. And if you believe that you are reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus, that you can now walk as a new creation. And you can pray that this morning. And if you do pray that, I ask that you would get in touch with me. Because I want to give you a Bible and I want to walk with you through these next steps in your relationship with God. Now, for those of us who have already have a relationship with Jesus, how do we have security and peace? Every Sunday, we have communion. You have these communion elements here. And we speak of the words of Jesus Christ here. And in that cup is the new covenant sealed in Jesus' blood. The new covenant. And that's why we have the security and peace no matter what's happening around us. Jesus is our anchor in our times of trouble. So as we reflect on our life, as the worship team continues to lead us in worship this morning, may we examine ourselves before we come to the communion table and we remember the covenant that we have with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, You've offered us something that nothing else or no one else could offer us. You've cut a covenant with us. You've walked through that halved animal and made a promise on your life that we would be reconciled with God. And you paid that price with your own blood. And I ask, Lord, for any any person here that doesn't know you as their Lord and as their Savior, I pray that they would receive you this morning. And Lord, for those of us who do have a relationship with you, Jesus, that we would remember your new covenant as we reflect upon ourselves before we take communion. The new covenant offered in your blood that we may be reconciled to God the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.